I would like, if I may, take you on a strange journey. Hello out there, welcome to another episode of Nine Cent. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. We've got a very special episode for you this week. Uh, very special indeed because we have some viewers from Texas, the great state that I've been mentioning in news, probably coincidentally, or specifically, uh, because uh, I don't think it's such a great state because it stole these two people from me. Either way, it wasn't the state itself. Maybe I should cut them some slack. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? The bullshit, the rhetoric, the need to disassociate themselves with the rest of America. It's all bigger. <laughs> well, anyway, let's get to the point here. Nine Cents is a podcast devoted to uh, my satanic perspective of our wonderful world here in the U.S. of A. Our modern world, as it were. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've had a couple glasses of wine, so this might get a little bit slurred. Or weird. Either way, I'm pretty sure you're going to be jiving with it. I hope you will, anyway. Uh, first of all, I'd like to give a little shout-out, or at least bring up uh, the topic of Japan. I actually saw there's some late-breaking news that there was another hydrogen explosion at a uh, nuclear power plant. Um, and this is the second one that's been suspected and or occurred since the earthquake uh, late last week. Uh, I believe it was like Saturday night. Friday morning or something like that. Um, you know, Japan just can't cut a break. Uh, they side with Hitler in World War II. They uh, get an H-bomb dropped on their asses. Uh, they start to come up. They influence popular culture with their um, uh, uh, developing society. And then, bam, nature strikes. And it's a bitch. 8.9 on the Richter scale. That's the biggest in Japan's recorded history. Now, admittedly, recorded history, as far as earthquakes go, isn't all that distant. So I'm sure it's happened before. I mean, after all, how did Japan form in the first place? Probably volcanic activity at some point. It might have broken off in the mainland. Um, plate tectonics, it's like got three different uh, faults uh, crossing it. So, you know, this this kind of stuff was bound to happen. I've got a very special show for you content-wise as well, not just because i got some kick-ass viewers. Uh, that's right, tonight we're going to be talking about the 11 rules of the earth in The Devil's Advocate. And if you've never heard of the 11 rules of the earth, chances are you're not a fucking Satanist. Um, but if you have, I'm going to touch on a couple of them, um, maybe a little bit more in depth. Um, but really, the 11 rules of the earth are a staple of Satanic philosophy. The Church of Satan. Um, there's the nine satanic statements, which I've gone over before. Tonight's going to be the eleven rules of the earth. And last, um, I'm probably going to touch on um, the nine satanic sins uh, next week or in a couple of weeks or something. So look forward to that. Uh, what else? Today in the Infernal Informant, I'm going to be talking about <laughs> scientists um, reasoning how we lost our penile spines. Uh, the little boy giggling inside of me just saw that article and had to share it with you. Uh, I'm also going to be discussing um, a little bit about uh, alien life. Found alien life. A renowned cosmologist, if you can call any cosmologist, cosmologist, 
renowned, um, believes he found bacterial alien life. And it's first released years ago, and I'll go into it. Um, and the implications on religion with that later. And then on Creature Feature, I'm going to be talking about Graham Hancock's Fingerprints of the Gods. And this coincides beautifully with the um, alien life finding, supposed, prospective. And uh, we're going to be talking about that briefly. And then at the very end of the show, I've got a very special uh, Bizarre of the Bizarre. And I'm going to be talking about peeking at the urinal. That's right. Man-gazing other men's cacks. Not a good thing. But it's happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to you, too. So why don't we get together and we can talk about it. Let's go ahead and move on to the Devil's Advocate. I still haven't gone to correcting that. Um, I actually have meant to, and I probably am going to in the future. I just shorten it up a little bit. You know, there's there's a dramatic build to that spot, but it's just lengthy and. I mean, in this case, it gave me a chance to research a little bit, but let me get on to the meat of the topic. And let me start by saying, though I am a Satanist and a member of the Church of Satan, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Um, the first time I ever heard about the 11 rules of the earth, excuse me, was um, while I was reading The Secret Life of a Satanist, uh, written by Blanche Barton. After Anton LaVey's passing um, in 97, uh, Magister Blanche Barton was uh, promoted to a high priestess and uh, sort of ran the operations of the Church of Satan. And she later passed that on to um, Magus uh, Peter H. Gilmore, and um, she is now the uh, Magister Templar Rex. She's known Anton LaVey for a number of years and um, having been given for the reins of the Church of Satan, I believe she knows a little bit about what she's fucking um, talking about, as it were. So the 11 rules of the earth, I'm going to kind of go through these um, straight on down. I just give a little shout out to uh, Supernova432 in the chat room. Not much, man. I'm just going through um, the devil's advocate right now. All right, so um, the 11 rules of the earth. One, do not give opinions or advice unless you're asked. When I first thought about giving a, a podcast, about my um, personal views of our world. I got a lot of uh, reinforcement that it was probably, um, if not a good thing, at least something that people might be interested in. Um, so I know there's a, a specific following of the podcast itself that is interested in my bullshit um, and uh, my, my specific opinions uh, as far as Satanism goes and how that informs my sort of worldview. Uh, the second rule of the earth, uh, do not tell your troubles to others unless you're sure they want to hear them. 
obvious. Uh, number three, win in another's lair, show them respect, else don't go there. This sort of uh, keys into some of the uh, satanic statements that defines Satanism uh, as, as a philosophy. Uh, if, if you don't respect someone, if you're not going to feel like you should grant respect to them, there's no reason why you should be in their, um, in their home or in their specific lair. And what I like about Satanism is it uses this sort of terminology, um, this primitive uh, dialect, uh, you might say, uh, words like lair, for example, and I'll touch on some others um, here later on. Um, that's part of the aesthetics of uh, what Satanism is. And, and that idea of, of being sort of the, uh, the, the rebel, uh, the Satan in our, our modern world uh, was sort of the counterbalance. So, you know, having that language attached to it, I think, is um, it's a, a bit theatrical, admittedly, but it's uh, also a little bit nice because it helps sort of bury us into that, into that role a little bit more. Uh, four, if a guest in your lair annoys you, treat him cruelly without mercy. Number five. Do not make sexual advances unless you're given the mating signal. Another one of those great terms, <laughs> the mating signal. Uh, specifically, this does not mean like a handshake or there's like like a specific <laughs> sign or something. Obviously, this means, uh, um, well, I touched on this on, in previous episodes, actually. Uh, there's lesser magic um, and, and convincing others without openly saying it, sending out bodily signals or um, your scent in order to convince people that you're interested in them. Um, lesson magic is a way to do that, and people do that without lesson magic, of course, um, without trying to convince other people that they want them. Um, they're just sort of being available. And that's what this really means. Um, number six, do not take that which does not belong to you unless it's a burden on the other person, and he cries out to be relieved. And this is sort of the idea that a lot of people think that Satanists sort of just do whatever they want. You know, if they want something, they take it without remorse or without regret. And sometimes that is the case um, as long as the individual doesn't want it anymore. We're not thieves. We don't steal. Uh, we obey the laws in the society in which we live. Uh, and that's sort of important to understand because we're certainly not this sort of misunderstood Aleister Crowley, do as thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law sort of phrase that I've touched on in previous episodes. You know, we do certainly believe in uh, uh, common respect of law and the rule of law. We may not agree with it, but we understand that if, unless we work within it, um, there are going to be consequences. Uh, number seven, acknowledge the power of magic if you have employed it successfully to obtain your desires. If you deny the power of magic after having called upon it with success, you will lose all you have obtained. 8. Do not complain about anything to which you need not subject yourself. 9. And this is important. Do not harm little children. It goes without saying, and no one would even think of harming children, but there's a stigma that's attached with Satanism, thanks to the 1980s and um, Christianity as a whole, that there's something called Satanic child abuse. Um, which was really just a few wackos way to get attention and had nothing to do with Satanism at all. But it was so prevalent that Anton LaVey felt it necessary in order to put it down in the fucking Satanic Bible and reiterated here in the 11th of the Earth. 
um, you know, we as Satanists and as the Church of Satan cherish our children. They are our future. Uh, they are literally the Satanists that are going to benefit from the harassment and the bigotry that we've had to deal with since the 60s when the Church of Satan was founded. They're the alien elite that are going to lead us into the next non-Islamic Judeo-Christian future. So why the fuck would we hurt them? That doesn't make any sense. It's a horrible rumor perpetuated by horrible people. And ten, do not kill non-human animals unless attacked or for food. Now you can say this is sort of a two-parter because do not kill non-human animals um, unless attacked or for food is a statement. But it leaves open it's okay to kill human animals. And that's actually going to be touched on in the next rule of the earth. But uh, this should be addressing the key that we don't kill animals in rituals. That's yet another Judeo-Christian bullshit lie that has been made up to turn people off from reality. And though I understand why they would say it, and I understand that it's an effort to bring people to their flock so that they can have more money in their coffers at the end of the day, and they can build more churches and convince other people to follow them and have more control. Um, there are people that it genuinely affects, and for those people, like me, because I live in a really religious area, uh, it makes it harder for me to express myself and to live <clears throat> as openly as I would prefer, though really it doesn't affect me so much in a private sense it's just <clears throat> when you're when you're in another's lair <laughs> to reference an earlier uh, rule of the earth it becomes an issue uh you have to be careful essentially uh because um witch hunts still happen and when you have children involved uh it's best to tread light uh, the eleventh and last uh, satanic rule of the earth, when walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask him to stop. If he does not stop, destroy him. Very blunt and very straightforward comment. It speaks to the fact that we don't go out of our way, Satanists, to push our ideas, our behaviors, or our beliefs onto other people. And we demand we don't expect, we demand the same back. And if you're going to go out of your way to condemn us, then you should be prepared to pay the ultimate price. Now, it's important to understand here that the Church of Satan, um, and certainly myself, do not condone physical, deliberate, and literal interpretation of this phrase. Meaning, don't go out and stab someone and claim it was Satanism that told you to do it because it was the fucking 11th rule of the earth. Use your fucking head. As I've stated many times, and I'll continue to state in the future, we follow the rules of the society in which we live. So we don't go around killing fucking people. It's just not a reality. However, there is ritual. And there are rituals geared around this specific end. And you may say it's a slippery slope or it's a tightrope that we walk. But there is no deliberate physical meaning of 
this phrase. There is only the ritualistic metaphorical meaning. And though it can yield the exact same results, it won't be by your physical hand, and it's nothing that our current laws prohibit. So do your best. But be prepared. If you don't invest yourself wholly, what you wish may not come to pass. And um, if you aren't going into the decompression chamber with the strongest assurance of your intentions, nothing's going to happen. You have to be confident. Alright, so that's the 11 rules of the earth. That was the devil's advocate. Let's go ahead and move into Infernal Informant. Warriors of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the Infernal Informant. The Infernal Informant is here. Let's talk a little bit. NASA researcher, and this is from DailyTech.com, claims to have found alien life form. An astrobiologist working at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center outside of Huntsville, Huntsville, Alabama, has made an astounding claim. In a recently published journal article, he claims to have discovered a preserved alien life form residing inside of a meteor that journeyed through the vast black of space before impacting our planet. Now the idea is that the meteorite was reportedly broken under carefully controlled sterile conditions, that it was harvested from Antarctica immediately after the observed fall. It was in such a sterile environment and it was collected so quickly after its fall from the skies that it hasn't been contaminated yet. But this same Dr. Hoover that uh, performed this study of the meteorite has actually published something like this before, and it might actually be this exact same paper that he's sort of resubmitted. Um, the problem with it is that the doctor himself is a cosmologist, and a lot of scientists see cosmology as uh, not real science, to put it lightly. So his studies are done in a manner which does not represent professional science, according to these other people, so it's hard for them to believe. But let's just kind of sort of break down. Specifically, he zeroed in, and I'm quoting, on the CI class of carbonaceous condite crondite meteors. These meteors are rich in water, amino acids, and other organic compounds, seemingly a virtual pantry for a microorganism. Now, we've sort of um, seen, uh, and this was discovered in 1999 in Spain, that we, we have bacteria that live in very non-life-compatible uh, environments, like deep in sulfurous rock, volcanic activity. Um, we've seen bacteria thriving. And this leads scientists um, to search for life in unsuspecting areas, not only in our solar system, but outside of it. Um, and sort of broadens the range of our idea of, of alien life. Now, no one here is talking about you know, that sort of fire in the sky slash abductee alien situation. This is, this is no X-Files. 
This is much more on a scientific cellular level of uh, primal life. Um, and what this says about, uh, I guess you could say, religion as a whole, is that we are not all that special. Now, now life as we know it may be very rare, but sort of in the vast scheme of, of our universe, it, it's probably... I just wanted to give a little shout-out to Nomad1134 who jumped in the chat room. It's nice to see you. Uh, nice to see you uh, signed up with a, a password there. On the surface is nothing, um, but the implications actually are, are quite important because if we aren't special, if we weren't created as religion scholars claim, then the idea of God as we have created him uh, is certainly suspect. Now, for those of you who are atheists, agnostics, Satanists, or any other rational thinking human being, this isn't a big shock. But our modern society is steeped heavy, politically, socially, in religion. A lot of our laws stem from religion. So if you suddenly prove, without a doubt, to some people that there is no God, um, there are God. So if, if we've ever had a proven study that's accepted by all scientists, and even potentially accepted by any religious scholar as a society, we might be in this for some massive, massive problems. And that's just my opinion. I mean, I think the majority of us can handle it, but it's the fringe that sort of reacts globally, as is evidence throughout what's going on in the world right now. Um, and so it's the fringe that would cause um, the genuine issues with truth, you know, of, of alien life. And I certainly do believe that there is alien life out there. I don't believe that we're being visited or trailer trash is being abducted every fucking weekend. Um, I, I actually don't personally believe we've ever been visited by aliens. But I do believe they're out there. And the fact that um, I'm a Satanist, uh, there's no issue with that. You know, because you know, Satanism is steeped heavily in our human interpretation of our world that we inhabit and our um, our sort of mind as humans and our behavior that, you know, it, it wouldn't matter at all. Um, there may be something that's very similar to uh, a religious belief that other beings would try to carry over to us, but it's still not going to affect us as individuals. You know? Anyway, I'm sort of ranting here. I'm pulled out a little bit by uh, Nomad. Thanks again. Let's go ahead and uh, talk about my next topic, something I think Nomad would be very personally interested in. Humans are losers when it comes to penis spines. You know, when I saw this fucking article, I, I almost lost my shit. I could not believe that someone was actually talking about this um, in any manner at all. Penis spines, for those who are uninformed, I actually initially thought, because I was a little bit uneducated on the topic, not having them, as evidenced by this article. Um, I was uh, a little bit confused as to what it was. Apparently um, some cats and apes have spines on their penises that scrape the vaginal walls of their mates. And there's actually some other 
points here that um, uh, are brought up in the in the article. Um, duration, the fact that we lost our penis spines, indicating at one time that Neanderthal individuals did have them in our genome um, millions of years ago, proves that we at one time did. Um, but it, it it provides duration. So you ladies out there, gotta love that. You know, some of us may go like five seconds, but could you imagine if we had penis spines? <laughs> that much more sensitive area? It would be like 1.2 seconds. And though it would probably be the best 1.2 seconds of your entire week. <laughs> it, uh, just, you know, it may be the best 1.2 seconds of your week. It's still a far cry from any length of time that might allow you to orgasm. Which may explain why it took mankind so long to accept the idea of the female orgasm. And how even now some of us still don't believe in it. And it may not be so much of a, a, a conscious disbelief, but a way of us rationalizing our lack of duration in order to promote. Not that I have that problem. You have to pull my wife in here to fucking verify that shit. Because now I suddenly set myself up. I don't really even want to go into the fucking scientific DNA of this. I just thought that was a really funny thing to bring up. <laughs> like, really, that, that was all there was to it. So we once had penis spines. We don't have them anymore. Um, but it's a good thing. I mean, I would love to use my uh, cock as, like, a grappling hook <laughs> to catch myself if I'm falling from a building for any reason that I may be falling from a building. But, uh... I can't do it anymore, but it's okay because I can last a couple more seconds <laughs> in the heat of passion so that we can breed. I can hear my wife laughing out there. <laughs> Alright, so uh, I, I think that's enough of me embarrassing myself about penis spines and uh, stamina. <laughs> Let's go ahead and, uh, what's the fucking next part we're talking about? Uh, creature feature. Let's go into creature feature while I drink my wine and Try to not blush anymore. The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome. Creature, feature. Well, well, creature, feature. You gotta love it. All right, uh, I need to get an actual woman to do the female voice because right now I've got me and a little bit of editing. So, just ruin the surprise of that. So don't jerk off to my voice because it's me. All right, so. Uh, in this creature feature, after I turn down the volume, I'm going to be talking about Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock. Fingerprints of the Gods is um, the first novel I read of Graham Hancock. Um, and uh, Graham Hancock is sort of an author that started as a reporter. Uh, he did some uh, news reports on violence in Africa, South Africa, and learned of uh, some... Judeo-Christian religion, well, actually Judeo-specific religion remnants 
from sort of uh, ancient Egypt there. And he wrote a book about the Ark and the Covenant um, and pretty much espouses that Ethiopian, <coughs> I say Egyptian, Ethiopian, because um, they're right next to each other, right? <laughs> Stupid Americans. Uh, Ethiopians actually claim to have the Ark and the Covenant, and he kind of you know does a book specifically on that. Anyway, um, that got him into the ideas of ancient peoples, mythology, and whether or not there was reality behind that mythology. More specifically, Fingerprints of the Gods is about his attempt to prove the existence of an ancient society, very human. It doesn't try to claim that aliens came down and granted mankind knowledge, but a very human, which is why I appreciate it, a, a very human ancient society that informed and educated sort of ancient Egyptians and many other cultures around the world, like the Mayans, um, uh, in sort of this shared knowledge that they had known. Um, and he claims that these people existed over 11,500 years ago during the last major ice age. And, and that was sort of the point that they, you know, died off or um, by a massive world event were all killed or something. Um, so, what, what I really love about this is that it maintains a human tone and sort of explains myth that most other authors and certainly most, most um, ancient uh, people lovers or ancient people tale lovers claim to be, you know, God or, or, or aliens or something. You know, he, he maintains it in a, in a very individualistic human element, uh, at least level. Um, and that's very important for me as a Satanist, because, I, you know, like I said before, I just don't believe in fucking aliens visiting us or, or passing off knowledge to us. Um, and it, it actually goes in great detail about how he believes that there was an ancient society. He doesn't try to make any claim onto who they were or where they lived, whether it was like this Atlantis thing or not, um, because there's no way to prove stuff like that. He, he sticks to a very scientific field. This is a very old book. It was done, um, oh, let's see, 1995. So I guess it's not that old. When I graduated in 95, I didn't realize it was that actually I thought it was a little bit before that. But, um, he, he pulls information from some earlier works um, and from fellow scientists and researchers in fields that he may not be a particular expert in, which is something that really authors that are trying to convince you of a specific point of view don't usually do. They try to just force or cram their ideas down your throat rather than pulling from actual professionals in the field. So if you have never read Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock, pick it up. If you have any interest in ancient science or ancient peoples or, or ancient myth, pick it up for sure. And if you just don't have a book to read, go to the fucking library and pick it up. It's absolutely worth it. It's a fantastic novel. Let's move into the bizarre of the bizarre because I've got a lot of peeking at urinals to talk about. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bazaar of the Bazaar. Oh yeah. Bazaar, bazaar. The best part of the entire fucking show, if you're a sicko like me.
uh, I'm talking about urinal etiquette here. And, and this is something that men don't outwardly talk about, but there's sort of an unspoken code that is ingrained in our human DNA as men. When you go to a urinal, and let's say there's three, if there's no one standing, you take the first next to the wall. If someone walks in, this unspoken code, they go to the third, leaving at least one urinal between the two of you. If, in chance, a third person walks in, it's okay for them to hit that third urinal. However, it's preferred that they wait. They could maybe look in the mirror and mess with their eyebrows or, you know, fix their hair a little bit, wash their hands until one person is gone. At all costs, we must avoid the cock stare. And for those of you that have been in the situation where all three are filled, you may know what I'm talking about. There's an etiquette involved where you sit, you stand up, and you're, you know, you unzip and start doing your thing. And put your hand on the wall, maybe, if you dare touch a bathroom wall. Otherwise, you sort of stand there, one hand on your cock. You can either look down at your cock, or you can stare at the wall in front of you. And just stare. And you can feel the people here, and you can feel the people here. But you don't ever fucking look over, because the last thing you want to do in a men's room is have eye contact. Ugh, you never want to have eye contact in a men's room. Um, okay, so I am in a urinal. This is actually in the military, again, as most of my stories are. And then I'm actually going to do another one more recent here. <laughs> Hopefully you don't have both hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're, uh, there's two urinals here, so I'm standing at one. A friend of mine who works in another department uh, next to mine, uh, it's actually his bathroom, not his, but his department's bathroom that I'm using, stands in the urinal right next to me. Um, and I'm looking forward, staring at the tile as if the grout whatever the fuck you call it between the tiles is so interesting that I have to stare at it and I hear nice cock and I don't believe that I heard what I just heard but I had to make sure anyway so I turn and look and indeed he is looking me in the eye and made fucking eye contact he broke the cardinal rule of the men's room and he looked in my fucking eyes after saying nice cock so I'm naturally thinking this is like a George Michael moment. Like, at any moment, he's going to proffer himself, and I don't really know the ins and outs. I mean, Senator Craig, like, tapped his foot and whistled a little bit, but this guy didn't do it. And so I didn't really know, like, how to expect a homosexual advance or how to push it off. Had he presented the option, he didn't. He was just commenting. I looked over and I didn't know what the fuck to do, nice cock. What do you, what the fuck do you do in a case like that? I mean, at one point, at one hand, later, alone, maybe on the drive home, you can say, hey, you know what, I can appreciate someone saying that. <laughs> nice. Shiwi. Um, but if you are actually in, uh, in that situation, you don't even want to address it. Just because you have to, there's no, there's no quota for how to act. So I'm sitting there. He says, nice cock. I look over. I'm like, uh, 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 thanks. And uh, I sort of turn a little bit more. <laughs> but then I realize that by turning more, I'm offering my ass to his general direction to the 
my, I'm offering my ass to the guy that just said nice cock. So I start to turn back, and then I realize that, fuck, I, I'm, like, offering my cock to the guy who just said it. So I couldn't even fucking finish anymore. I immediately just shut down. I, I was just, I, I really had to go, but I couldn't. And so the pain started building up, and I was just like, you know, just fucking shaking off the, a, a tiny bout of rage. Flush, go wash my fucking hands and get the fuck out. And then come right back in after I heard him leave so that I could fucking finish. I mean, that's how fucking ridiculous I can be at times. Okay, so <laughs> that was my first bout with um, the breach of urinal etiquette. Just recently, I'm going at my work's office bathroom, which, by the way, Nomad might appreciate this, has a heated toilet. And if you've never sat on a heated toilet during the winter, it's magical. You'll never go back to a cold toilet again. <laughs> no, there, there was no pullout and there was no <laughs> offering. Um, okay, <laughs> uh, let, let me get back on the topic here. So I, I walk in um, and I can see someone in literally this is like a one urinal and then it's a stall right next to the urinal. So, you know, you have like eight inches between the urinal and the stall. I can see someone in there, and you can see at the bottom of the urinal, because there's like a 12-inch rise from the bottom, that the feet are facing as if they're urinating into the toilet, in the stall itself. There's no one actually at the urinal, so, you know, I mean, it's a public fucking bathroom. i got to fucking take a leak, so I, I walk in, and I'm taking a leak, and I can feel a presence right fucking next to me. So I know there's a wall there. I sort of glance up and over there to see if there's like anyone peeking down. I don't see anything. I down to see if there's anyone peeking up. I don't see anything, but what I do see are the feet facing my direction. As if there's a fucking wall. And he is like this. Watching me through the fucking toilet door. Like I can't fucking go. Like I normally, you know, in the army and stuff, you had to do a lot of drug testing. And so I was used to people staring at my junk while I was taking a leak. None of them said nice cock. And certainly none of them were just, like, fucking staring. And the fact that I couldn't see him on the other side was fucking worse. Because what kind of a fucking psycho stands facing a fucking wall knowing that there's someone else trying to pee on the other side? What kind of a twisted fuck does that? I couldn't fucking take a leak at all. I couldn't do anything. I just sat there. I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is long enough for me to fucking warrant taking a leak. And I knew he didn't hear anything because there was no fucking splashing involved. I knew he knew I didn't fucking go. But I had to fake like I was going anyway. So I'm <clears throat> clearing my throat and <clears throat> shifting a little bit to maybe <laughs> make enough noise to convince myself that it's convincing him. It's like this big fucking drawn-out drama. I feel like goddamn George Clooney and I should be winning a fucking Oscar for this shit. The fucking acting I'm doing on taking a leak. All the while, never taking a fucking leak. This is the kind of shit life I fucking have at times. So, what am I supposed to do with that? What I did was turn the fuck around, wash my fucking hands, and walk the fuck out. That's a breach of fucking etiquette for all you guys out there. You don't fucking stand at a god... And this is coming from someone who's actually... I used to work at a Barnes & Noble when I was uh, going through college... And there was a fucking glory hole in the fucking bathroom stall next to me. And I saw someone fucking peeking through it once. Naturally, I turned the fuck out and walked the fuck out. But this isn't like fucking the first time this has ever happened to me type of situation. 
and, and I just couldn't fucking handle it. I mean, how fucked up is that, right? That's it for the bizarre of the bizarre. Um, if I can speak to all you men out there for the briefest of moments, don't ever stare or make contact with another man of the urinal. I know it's a part of who you are to not do that normally. But some deviants out there, they don't have that part of their brain, and we must educate them. So, I'm taking upon myself to do something. Uh, next week, I'm going to try to have <laughs> as much as a fun episode as this was, hopefully without as many Ustream errors. I hope I actually corrected it. Um, I might not have. And, you know, we're just sort of working through it. I'm going to piece this together tomorrow night and get the podcast out on Monday. So those of you who get a live show or tune in live to Ustream are getting uh, sort of added bonus content <laughs> or uh, at the very least added stupidity and added uh, gaffes on my part. Um, if you're desiring to learn anything more about the Church of Satan, I would absolutely demand you pick up the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey. Uh, available at every retail out there. If you ever want to check online about Satanism, churchofsatan.com. There are other internet radio outlets for Satanism. Radiofreesatan.com is certainly an excellent one. And you can reach out and touch your local Satanists, not literally, bathroom stalkers, at satannet.com. The Undercroft is a social networking site and letter to the devil message board both controlled by some fantastic Satanists. And uh, you've been listening to Nine Cents. I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan.